You're listening to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. My wife and I were headed to grab a bite to eat at a restaurant tonight on our way before an activity that she had signed up for, and I thought I was taking a shortcut, trying to avoid a main thoroughfare that had lots of traffic normally at that time of the day. But alas, they were doing construction, and about a mile or two lined up of orange cones taking two lanes in each direction down to one in each direction. It really got us going there slow, which was not only inconvenient, but had our hunger growing, and we were famished by the time we got to the restaurant. When you see traffic up ahead, it can be frustrated not being able to get to where we need to go as quickly as we want to get there, and knowing that at some point up ahead it will open up, but we're not always sure how far it will go and how long we'll be slowed down there in that traffic. I was landing in a plane once in Boston, and as we were coming in for a landing, I looked down outside the window from my window seat, and I could see miles of traffic on a main freeway heading into the city. Man, it looked miserable, bumper to bumper, not going, barely a snail's pace. And then all of a sudden, I could see where the traffic broke open again, where that one lane of construction traffic broke into two or three lanes. And those who hit it, man, they were off. They were going full speed ahead because they had a clear, wide open road ahead ahead of them. When we were with doing the, uh, sharing the gospel in Slovenia as missionaries, we often joke sometimes that it was Slovenia because it seemed to take forever to see the gospel take root in anyone's lives, to see hearts change, doors open, opportunities to share. But when they did, it was always a blessing. The hand of the Lord had opened, had opened those doors. It's traffic sometimes with the gospel. Things don't go as quickly as we thought. There's obstacles along the road, there's things that slow us down, there's detours even. As we look at 2 Thessalonians, Paul is asking for prayer. The work of God was important, but there was so much that could slow it down and hinder it. So he was asking these believers to pray, to intercede, that the Lord might move things out of the way. Last time we looked at the fact that you're on one team or on the other. You're either saved or you're not. There's no fans when it comes to the kingdom of God. And that thought continues here as Paul recognizes in chapter 3 that not all may be on board with spreading the gospel, with being a part of the great commission of taking the gospel into all the world and making disciples of all people. So he enlists the help of the Thessalonians to help ensure that the work continues. And that's where we pick up on this time on this podcast in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. As much encouragement as Paul set out to give the Thessalonians here in this book, he needs some as well. He'd been rooting for the team, but he needed them as well, since none of us can do it all on our own. So he writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul, asking for prayer, pray for us, he says, it's something we should not hesitate to ask for, asking others to pray for us. We met someone new at church the other week. We met briefly during the quick window between worship and the message, then continued the conversation after service. Such an interesting story of how this person came to be at the church and the circumstance surrounding their coming to Oklahoma. It was good fellowship, fellowship, a total stranger a short time before, but clearly a sister in the Lord who was blessed to have found a church body to connect with. 
And as we were finishing up the conversation, as she had to leave for work, we just asked, hey, can we pray for you? And she enthusiastically said, yes. And we enjoyed a quick time of prayer before heading out. Strangers, just minutes before, but now boldly approaching the throne of grace together. Prayer can and should be a regular part of our interactions together. Asking, hey, can I pray for you? Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was not too high and mighty or super spiritual that he did not need the lowly prayers of these new believers in Thessalonica. He asked them to pray for him. He needed and wanted their prayer. Have you ever heard someone say, we covet your prayers, meaning please pray for us? That's kind of funny, actually, because usually in the Bible, we're told not to covet. From the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. When we covet something, we set our hearts and minds on it. In the Ten Commandments, it's forbidden to desire that which belongs to another, their spouse, their donkey, their house. Throughout Scripture, from Moses to Jesus to the Apostle Paul, we're clearly warned about this sort of coveting, and there are consequences associated with coveting. Eve in the fruit in the garden, David in Bathsheba, or Achan in the spoils of the battle in Joshua, thou shalt not covet. But covet is used in another way in the King James translation of the Bible, when we intensely desire something quite legitimate and set our hearts and minds upon it in a good way. Paul said in 1 Corinthians we should covet or earnestly crave the spiritual gifts, and that we should covet to prophesy, intensely desiring to have gifts from God that might bless, edify, and benefit others. While Paul doesn't use the phrase, I covet your prayers, which has crept into our Christianese, he does ask them to pray. I love this, because these are not the most mature, seasoned believers. They are newer to the faith, still don't have everything down in theology and practice and ministry, and it's not below Paul to ask them for prayer. In fact, Paul might really ask them to pray because he believes their prayers might be effective as they pray with the faith of a child. They're not so deep in their theology or so many years of, of wading through the trenches of, of warfare and of, of walking with Jesus that, they're, that their prayers have grown crusty or professional or they know the right things to say. They're still new at this, so they're praying with the faith of a child. When kids pray, they can pray in such honesty and clarity, simple requests from the heart. Just ask for what you need. God is hearing and God is able to answer. But as we grow, we can filter our prayers. We can think too much and not pray for things because we're convinced with how it might sound, or we can reason ourselves out of asking for prayer, our mind taking over and canceling those opportunities to pray. I teach Sunday school at our church, 8 to 11-year-olds, and we start off each class with prayer requests. And of course, we pray for sick grandparents a lot, or we pray for siblings who are misbehaving. We pray at times for Muslims to become Christians. I even have one kid who is concerned about world affairs and the economy, and his prayer request once was that all the greedy people wouldn't take all our money and assets and make us dependent on the government. True story, he asked for prayer for that. But we have also prayed for a whole slew of other things you would never hear mentioned in prayer requests in your Bible study group full of adults or at your men's prayer group or your mom's in touch prayer circle. We've prayed for hoverboards, that if it's God's will, our parents will change their hearts and allow us to have one. We've prayed for God to help us win many a soccer game. We've prayed a ton for pets, that if it's God's will, we'll, we, we can get a frog that God would convince our parents to get us a dog, that God will bless us with a kitten, and even that God would help our dog Rocky to stop chewing on things in the house because it makes our parents mad. Seriously, I've prayed that before in Sunday school. I love it. 
praying with the heart of a child, that we have a heavenly father who loves us and will listen to what is on our heart. It's funny. I will actually ask the kids to pray for me sometimes, and I will share with them prayer requests I don't necessarily share in a men's group. When our cats were recovering from surgery and one of them was taking a bit longer to bounce back and we were growing concerned, I asked them to pray for our cats because I knew that they would with full faith that God was listening. And they did. And the next week even asked for a prayer update and praised the Lord with me that the cats were doing better. Jesus shared his disappointment with his disciples that they had not been praying like they could have. In John 16, verse 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. An invitation to them to ask. Ask more. Ask in my name, believing who I am. James wrote, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It doesn't matter if you're old in the faith or young in the faith. God hears the righteous. Praying without filters, led by the Holy Spirit, of course, and praying with the heart of God in accordance with His will, and not just going to the Lord as if He is our heavenly sugar daddy to satisfy our every selfish, carnal, or materialistic earthly whim, but praying with the heart and faith of a child, and knowing that no request is too small or too big for the Lord. In fact, if you want to join me just before recording this, I got a prayer request from my sister asking me to pray that miraculously four tutus will arrive in her post office box. They've got a recital this weekend. It seems like the post office is still trying to get things right after COVID. So if you're listening to this after the recording, pray for four tutus to arrive on the island of Kauai before the Kaloa Dance House um, recital this weekend. Thank you. And though Paul isn't praying for cats or for tutus, just what was Paul's prayer request of these Thessalonians, that he knew that they would pray in faith? He says, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. The Thessalonians could resonate. When the word had been shared in Thessalonica, opponents wreaked havoc on that church, a mob from the marketplace being stirred up, Jason's house being overrun. It's one of the reasons Paul had to leave so soon after sharing the gospel. Not everyone was on the same team. So they knew that when it came to the gospel, there needed to be a covering of prayer. Pray for us, Paul said, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. First, that it may run swiftly to be unhindered, not to be stopped up or slowed down. So important to pray for open doors for the word, for the gospel, that distractions don't come in the way when the gospel is being preached, either in circumstances or even in hearts and minds. I've been in church services before where the pastor gets to the altar call at the end of the service, and suddenly someone's phone rings or a coughing wave goes through the church, where that person you know needs to hear and responds starts checking messages on their phone or whispering to their neighbors or leaving for the restroom. Hindrances. And not surprisingly, as Jesus taught in the parable of the sower, that the birds come to eat up the seeds sown along the path, and that Satan comes immediately to take what was sown robbing them of the chance for the word to take root. When you share the gospel on a mission trip, regularly in a ministry, or in an anticipated opportunity you have with someone, get prayer coverage. Ask people to be praying, and you pray as well that the word may run swiftly. Second, Paul asked them to pray that the word may be glorified. We need to pray that the word does not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts. Paul knew the gospel was powerful and that the message had the power and potential to save anyone who heard, Jew or Greek. 
but he had seen many a time that just hearing it did not always have an impact. Same message, preached with the same passion, conviction, and intensity, but not always the same results. Why? Well, he told the Corinthians, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The God of this age has blinded them. Because otherwise, they would get saved. The gospel so powerful. So the need to pray and ask for prayer when the gospel is being preached. When I was doing missions, I had been meeting with a guy regularly. He had sought me out with a bunch of spiritual questions. And when we'd get together, we would talk about scripture. We would talk about life and in light of Jesus. And I showed the gospel a number of times. And I think the guy thought that he was saved, but it didn't seem like it had really hit him yet or that it was more than just an intellectual understanding of things. So I prayed and our team prayed regularly. And it was almost seven months later, after many conversations, I was doing dishes before I went out to meet him, praying as I worked uh, for our time. And boom, a scripture came to my heart, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It says this, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I stopped my scrubbing for a second there of the dishes and was like, was that you, Lord? And I continued praying as I finished up the dishes, kind of believing that he said, today's the day I've heard you. It's going to happen. So I met with the guy, similar conversations that we had had for a long time. Now, in addition to meeting with me, this guy had been listening to a preacher on TV. And for months, I'd been praying specifically that the Lord would use this preacher too to reach him, that God would work through us both in a sort of tag team situation. So that day when my friend and I met toward the end of our conversation, he said, oh, by the way, recently that preacher I've been watching has been saying a bunch. Well, when I was saved or when I got saved, when he is talking about getting saved, what's he talking about? Like baptism or something? I could not really believe what I was hearing. What a direct question and wide open door. So I carefully and simply shared the gospel one more time, something I had done on numerous occasions with him, but this time. I could see the wheels turning in his head. I could see his heart stirring as I shared. It was finally making sense. His eyes had finally been opened. And when I finished, I said, is being saved something you've ever experienced? And he said, no. But I think that all these things, us meeting, our conversations, the TV preacher, all these things, I think they're all leading up to this moment. I said that I agreed and I asked if he wanted to pray to accept Jesus. And he did. So much prayer, but the word of the Lord ran swiftly that day and was glorified. You know, God's word is powerful. God wants to trans lives, transform lives through it, either to save them or to conform them into his image, to change us, to, to show us his will. But oftentimes that prayer needs to take place because it's just night and day. Sometimes we can't see it at all. We're blind to it. It's right there. And then boom, it's like the light shines upon it. And much of that comes, I believe through the power of prayer. And praying works and helps. Paul wrote that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you. The gospel had been shared in Thessalonica with them, and it had moved freely, though there was opposition. And Paul can attest it was because others had been praying for their city before and while and after the gospel was brought to them. If you are not on the front lines of sharing the gospel regularly, be a part of the supply chain of those who are. Pray for them. 
a pastor, a ministry, missionaries, gosh, even this podcast, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified because it is very clear. The world is in desperate need of the saving message of Jesus Christ today, but the word is hindered continually. And there are many who are unreasonable and wicked for not all have faith. So what do we do? Well, we're to pray. There are many things working to keep the word of the Lord from running swiftly and being glorified. It's a full-on operation of the enemy to keep it from getting out there. There's an example in the book of Daniel. Daniel has received a vision, and it's a heavy one. It was clear, and the appointed time for it was long, but Daniel was really shaken up by it. So he began to mourn for three full weeks, and what appears to be fasting in some way, eating and drinking nothing pleasant. And three weeks later, as he is by the Tigris River, he sees what he describes as, Behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sounds of his words was like the voice of a multitude. Now, those who were with him did not see this vision, but they were terrified by something about the situation because it says that they ran and hid themselves. And as Daniel writes, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. And then we read in Daniel 10, verses 10 through 14, how he responds in this situation and what happens next. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Daniel has been sitting with this word for three weeks, not, which, not sure what to make of it. It's rocked him. But he has been unable to do much, let alone speak the word. But since Daniel started praying 21 days earlier, his words had been heard. And this one standing before him, having the likeness of a man, but clearly much more than a man, had set out to come to Daniel's aid, to bring clarity to the word that he had received. But in the spiritual, real, the spiritual realm, here was some, there was some fighting going on, and the prince of the power of the kingdom of Persia withstood, withstood him 21 days. So we see that there's this spiritual battle going on that Daniel would not have been able to see. And this arrival was delayed. But Daniel had pressed on, humbled, and seeking the Lord. How many of us would continue on 21 days without hearing an answer? Often it's 21 minutes or 21 seconds, and if God doesn't respond, we move on to the next thing or we give up. And here, this one having the likeness of man will touch him and strengthen him, and the word will be able to go forth from Daniel. When Paul is asking the Thessalonians to pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it was with them in Thessalonica, he knew that there were hindrances and oppositions to the word flowing freely, most of them in the spiritual realm. And much work and preparation must be done through prayer and fasting, pressing forward, persistence, perseverance, so that the gospel can flow forth freely. A superhighway that allows it to move freely, to flow smoothly, not anything like the road I was on that I thought was a shortcut today to the restaurant, to be delivered to those who need it so desperately. 
as this podcast is recorded, there's war in Ukraine. And I have friends from the mission field and Bible college who are over there, many of them now working to receive those fleeing Ukraine and, and find places for them to go in the surrounding nations, as well as working on getting supplies to people in Ukraine. And though they are getting supplies donated, trucks purchased, warehouses filled with relief supplies over the border to get into Ukraine, the roads are becoming impassable in some places. Hindrances along the way. Imagine that war-torn country slowing down the routes, if not making them impossible to deliver the supplies that are needed. Bridges blown out, roads unsafe or impassable, or even enemy troops along the way. And while the supplies and relief are there, making it more and more challenging to get it to those who need it. That's the urgency Paul feels here. Asking the Thessalonians to pray that there are many hindrances to the gospel but God is greater. And he needed to enlist the prayers of the Thessalonian church because there was an urgency to get the gospel out. As there is now in the world, things are desperate. People are desperate. And Jesus is the only answer. Paul wrote the first time to the Corinthians saying, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And then the second time he writes to him, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The time is now to be praying, seeking God, doing the groundwork so the gospel can go forth unhindered. Something else Paul has asked for them to pray about in verse 2, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. To be delivered from. It means to draw oneself, to rescue, to deliver, coming from a root word that has an idea of a current, something pulling you away from something else, as if the current was pulling you away from the shore or pulling you away from the rocks or pulling you away from the boat that you just fell off of. Pray, he says, that we might be pulled away from unreasonable and wicked men, from those who do not have faith. Paul saw this in each city that he came to, puppets of the enemy, those who did not have faith, stirring up trouble whether it be a demon-possessed girl in Philippi who followed them through the marketplace daily, or the angry mobs in Thessalonica who sent them running, or a silversmith named Demetrius in in Ephesus who stirred up trouble when the sale of idols dropped due to the sharing of the gospel. Paul had seen those who were unreasonable and wicked, those without faith, becoming barriers to the gospel, annoying gnats or mosquitoes at the least, or dogs with loud barks and painful bites in other situations, pawns in the hands of the enemy because they do not know God. They are unreasonable, the word coming from a term that literally means out of place. They're out of place, out of their minds at least, not clearly seeing the good and light and truth of the gospel. Instead, calling good evil and evil good. Paul is asking that they pray that they can avoid these men, that they have as little interaction with them as possible, that God would place a shield about them, a hedge of protection that they might be able to move forward unhindered and fight the good fight rather than any side battles that would deter them from getting the gospel out. Billy Graham shared this story in his book, Angels, God's Secret Agents. The Reverend John G. Patton, pioneer missionary in the New Hebrides, that's the islands now known as Vanuatu, told a thrilling story involving the protective care of angels. Hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. John Patton and his wife prayed all during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see that, unaccountably, the attackers had left. They thanked God for delivering them. 
A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus Christ, and Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary answered, There were no men there, just me and my wife. The chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. The chief agreed that there was no other explanation. Could it be that God had sent a legion of angels to protect his servants whose lives were being endangered? Paul asked those in Thessalonica that they might pray, that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, from those without faith that might be used by the enemy to distract or or detract or accuse or hinder the work, that God might move us right past them or them right past us, that he might put blinders in their eyes so they don't see us, whether that be to a border guard as a missionary works to smuggle in Bibles, or a coworker who always seems to show up and debate when you're sharing with another coworker about your faith, or the drunk person driving on the road when they should not be, or the ungodly classmates or kids have that, that are up to no good all the time. Pray for deliverance, Paul says, that we would just slip right by them. And there will be times when we can't avoid them, and they are used to distract or deter or oppose or criticize or hinder. And in those times, we can just pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, and have grace upon them. Because as Paul acknowledges in Ephesians 2, that was us once too, unreasonable and wicked men. He writes, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You once walked in those ways too, being a hindrance to the work of God, stumbling others, sinning against others, opposing the gospel. Paul knew it. He had been an opponent of the gospel one hindering the work of God, going from house to house, so convinced that he was doing what was right. It wasn't until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that he realized that it was Jesus that he was persecuting and that he was wrong. Paul was wrong, that is, and not Jesus. Some who oppose the gospel will one day come to know the gospel, and some of the greatest critics or opponents may be the greatest advocates Paul was not writing off those who had no faith, but for now, if they were not ready to receive it and if they would be a hindrance to to the work, he asked for prayer that they might be delivered from them. We won't always. We may have to face them at times, but in those times, Jesus will be near. Jesus encouraging his own disciples in Matthew 10, 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak opportunities to testify to the very ones hindering the gospel. Paul is enlisting the help of the Thessalonians that they might partner in prayer, that the word of God might run swiftly, that those cones of construction would be opened up, that two lanes would open up, that traffic would flow freely, that the work of God would be unhindered. And Paul saw clearly that there were two teams, those who knew Jesus through the gospel and were serving him in his kingdom, and those who were not yet, but could be. And while these believers may have been weary and discouraged and losing steam as the fight continued, Paul gives them a pep talk in the final verses we look at today, to keep their minds in the game and focused on finishing well. Verses 3 through 5. But the Lord is faithful 
who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. We need to remember that often, but the Lord is faithful. No matter what we're facing or how we feel or how the tides have turned, the Lord is faithful. He would establish them and guard them from the evil one. If the world got more unstable, God would establish them. If the attacks increased, God would increase his guard. God would be faithful no matter what the other team threw at them. Paul was confident, not in them, but in the Lord's work in them, both that they would do and will do the things that were being, they were being taught, confident that their obedience would be key in the victory. How freeing that we don't have to call all the shots or make all the decisions or come up with all the plays. We just have to obey to do what Jesus commands us to do. And the victory is ours, no matter how tough things get. And with that, Paul's prayer and desire for them, verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Our hearts can be all over the place, longing for things that are temporal or unfulfilling, or our hearts can be distracted with cares for other things, or our hearts can be heavy and discouragement. Paul knew that their hearts would be safest and fullest if they would allow the Lord to direct their hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Hearts full of the love of God, content and confident that he loved them and filled with his love to love others and hearts directed into the patience of Christ, trusting, waiting, watching, and continuing on. Hearts at rest in an unrestful world. Lord, that is our prayer. We ask that you would direct our hearts into your love, O God, unconditional love that fills and satisfies, that compels us to action that gives us the security and confidence of knowing that you have our best in mind. May we rest in that love. And Father, direct our hearts into the patience of Christ. May they rest in confidence that you have a plan and a purpose and a timeline in all things, that you are in control, that you ask us to trust you and, and not jump into the driver's seat in impatience, like Abraham did with Hagar producing Ishmael, rather than waiting for you to come through with Isaac. And fill our hearts, Lord, with the patience of Christ, trusting you to work around us, trusting you to establish us, trusting you to return for us, and trusting you to use us as we patiently wait. Open doors for your message, Lord, that it might run swiftly, unhindered, and that you would protect us from those who do not have faith. And Lord, we ask that we might see people come to faith with what is a clear dividing line, Lord, that there are no fans in the stands. We all suit up on one team or the other. Jesus, open the hearts and minds of those around us who are yet to know you and give us opportunities to speak your name boldly. May your word run swiftly. We pray for that now and we continue to pray in Jesus' name. Amen.